Well, Jen, by the way of encouragement, do you know when it actually gets coldest? It doesn't actually get cold. This is from somebody who's spent lots of hours up early in the morning. It doesn't get cold, really cold, until after the shortest day. So, positive is you can believe that you've got, you know, some, you've got another month of, of, of balmy, balmy May left, and, and, and balmy June, and, and then it will get cold. But then, you know, really, it's only two months, isn't it? And then we're warming up again. So there you go. Have a seat. You don't, you don't seem to be buying that. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I went to, um, my brother and I, Andrew, who's here, we, we went to Devonport to a, a funeral this week. And it was, from, it was a funeral of a man who had been very significant in our lives and the lives of um, particularly a lot of other young boys. He was, his name was Trevor and he was our, our boys brigade leader. And, um, you know, his, his impact on you know, literally hundreds or probably even thousands of, of boys in a, you know, teenage boys was actually quite phenomenal. And um, I was privileged enough to, to share a few thoughts at the funeral on behalf of, of Trevor, Trevor's impact on, you know, on, on many boys. And what, what struck me is, is he, he wasn't a, you know, his, his ministry if you like, wasn't somebody who, who stood in this position in a church, but he was somebody who had a, a massive impact. And, and as you heard, the, the raft of people that shared at his funeral, where, where it went from you know, someone like, like myself sharing the impact that he'd had on teenage boys to have somebody, you know, one of Tasmania's most successful business people, Chaz Kelly, actually stand you know, on the platform and say, you know what, he, he actually helped me get into business. He helped me get started. And, um, and then a whole raft of people, just somebody else from a, um, that had been in his same local church who, you know, as somebody that, that when it started to go into retirement after the end of their career and battled with depression through that. And they talked about, you know, how Trevor actually came alongside and, and helped them in a, in a very, in a very, no-nonsense, ordinary way, walk through that. And I want to encourage us that, that we, sometimes in our, in our local church ministry, we can, we can, because we gather, and gathering's important, we see what happens sort of in this space. But, you know, this is, this is only a mechanism yeah. to lead and communicate. What, what really happens is, is our lives. What really happens is out there where you rub shoulders. And, and as I thought about one of the things that Trevor was able to impart into my life in, as, a, you know, as a teenager who was going through that, all that rebellious stuff and trying to work it out and trying to say, well, how do I, how do I live? I've been brought up, I was brought up in a, a Christian family. I was brought up in a, in a fairly, I don't know, it was a, it was a good church, but... Um, it, a lot of what we did was quite disconnected to the way that we lived our life in the community. And, and as, a, as a teenager, trying to work out how those things worked. Um, Trevor was somebody that helped me understand that my faith was relevant, you know, whether I was in church, whether I was um, out riding a motorbike, whether I was, you know, an apprentice in my workplace, whatever it was, he helped me understand how that worked across the board. 
And, and I, I just want to share this. Peter um, shared, some, shared with me this morning a, a number of visions that people had at our, our Thursday night prayer meeting. And I wasn't there. And he, he just shared some of that. And I just sort of let it sit for a bit. But what I, what I feel, you know, God is saying, and, and people, you know, really saw visions of gold and colour actually sort of coming out of people. It wasn't like it was coming, you know, from the front or it wasn't coming from a particular area. It was about God just doing something new uh, among his people and empowering and engaging a generation like never before. And as we gather tonight for church together, our, our theme this year is Engage. Um, why, why did we choose that? As we prayed as a church together executive and, and we, you know, we were very aware of, of what's going on in our society and some of the challenges, what are we, what's the church need to be? Well, it needs to be engaged. Right. Uh, not, not just engaged with a Sunday, yeah, that's important, but it needs to be engaged with society. That we're not something that happens over here and that stuff happens over there. We need to be engaged. And that's the theme of Church Together tonight. We're going to engage, you know, with things that have been hard in our community. We're going, we're going to engage with, with the, the, the plight of our Indigenous or Aboriginal people where, as a church, we don't know quite how to engage with that. I don't know how to engage with it, but we're going to, we're going to, we're going to pray about it. We're going to stand together and we're going to say, you know what, we want to bring some leadership in healing in that area. So where there is unity, God commands a blessing. So come on, let's pray. Let's engage with that tonight. Um, We're going to engage with generational poverty. We're going to engage with the stuff that we have got whole areas of, uh, of our community, and particularly this city of Hobart, where, where it's, not about, it's not about what you have and what you don't have. It's about what you carry. And, and we, we've got to start to, to, to engage with those things and, and, and try and, and work out how, as a church, that we, you know, we're not just providing teaching, but we're providing you know, an understanding and an engagement with some of those issues. And, and we're also engaging with, with masses of children in our state and really across the country that, that are in out-of-home care. And, you know, some of you know our journey. This hasn't actually come from us. This was our, our Church Together executive that really felt God speaking about that. We want to engage with some of those really big issues, and there's not easy answers on any of them. But, you know, what I can say is when, as a church, we engage, when we pray, you know, we see miracles happen. And I think we're, we're entering into a season here in Australia where, where there are going to be some incredible miracles. So come on, let's engage. Let's get ready to, to engage. We as a church uh, are in a season where we started a faith journey. Um, I think it's, it's about 18 months ago now when, when, we, when we first engaged with, uh, with an offer that was made on this building here. And we considered that carefully and we, we thought about it and, and then we've accepted that offer and it's going on. And, and then it's getting to the point where, where we know we haven't actually got a lot long left in this building. At this stage, the, the 31st of October is as long as we've got here in this building. And, and as, that, as that's drawn closer and as we've thought about where our, where our home is going to be following that, we haven't actually known. We've known what we want. But what I can say is, is over the last month or so, there's been some really, really exciting things going on in that space. And, and a lot of you will know that, that we're, we're, we're in the middle of, of some negotiations and a journey on the, um, on the ex, um, or it still is, the Coogan's building in Moona. And, and, you know, it, it, 
and to start with, when I saw the prize, I thought, wow. I had a feeling like there was something about, you know, God leading us over there and, and, and there was so much about that that I liked. And I, I, I couldn't put it down. I, I, I actually started to engage with our board and others on that and, and, and there was a discrepancy between, you know, what we're going to come out of this uh, building with and what they perhaps are wanting for that building. And, and I said, gee, there's a lot of room here for God to work. <laughs> and, you know, we've started... We started you know, we, we, we've been talking to some equity partners and we're on a journey at the moment and the light is still green. And, and what do we need in that? Well, we actually need a fair few things to line up and we really need God's favour in that. And, and this morning, I actually want to speak to you about the fact that, you know, sometimes we can feel like as Christians, as 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 people like, you know, you feel like society's going in one direction. But what I can say to you is that we live under a season of the favour of God. And we've got to not just believe it, we've got to not just sort of think about it, we've got to believe it, we've got to carry it and know that we live under the season of God's favour. What do we need to, to move from where we are to our future and to impact this city here? We need to understand that God's favour is on us and he wants us to live like his favour is on us. He wants to make us to make decisions like his favour is on us. He wants to actually engage our faith like his favour is on us. So I go back to, and I started speaking last Sunday night about a guy that we read about in the Old Testament. His name was Nehemiah. And he was somebody that God used very strategically and, and he understood how favour actually worked for the purposes of God. And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. So um, any of you who know a bit about your Bible history will know that after, after the nation of Israel divided and, 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 and they got their focus on all the wrong things and, 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 and they became weaker and weaker and, and, and eventually Jerusalem um, was, a, was attacked and burned and torched by the Babylonians and pretty much everybody was, was exported to Babylon as, um, as exiles and you know, they, they just left really the people there they didn't want. Um, just sort of hanging around, you know, without any direction or resource or anything else. So it was a pretty sorry place. It was essentially a ghost town. And, and in Nehemiah's day, some people had actually gone back there and tried to reestablish. And, and you can see God's plan there. What they did was very good. They, they said, right, we're going to get a spiritual base in this place first. So they reestablished the temple. They, they, they managed to rebuild that. And they started to get things going. But the city was a, a mess. It had, it, it had no protection. It had no borders. It had no governance. And, and it was pretty much under the control of strong men and, 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 and a rabble that, that, you know, did standover tactics and things like that and profited out of people who were struggling. That's what was going on. And, and Nehemiah was working at this point at the epicenter of the world. He, he, was, he was working for, for the Babylonian king. He was his cupbearer. And that sort of sounds like, oh, just the guy that carried the cup around. But no, his job was to keep the king alive. 
His job was to make sure that nothing came into the presence of the king that could do him damage. So anything that the king drank or ate, he would, he would actually taste first and make sure that it wasn't poison or, or people weren't trying to do him harm. So it was a very, very trusted position. You know, you wouldn't put anybody in there. You'd put somebody who had ability, somebody who had nows, and somebody who was incredibly loyal. And Nehemiah was in that place. His brother goes to Jerusalem for some reason and he comes back and Nehemiah says, hey, what's, what's going on over in Jerusalem? You know, we know that the, the temple's been rebuilt. How are they going? And, and his brother said, look, it's a mess, mate. He said that the, the, the walls have been burnt down. It's, it's overrun with rabble. We've got these guys extorting people. It's, it's not a good place to be. And... It it was his spiritual home. It was where his ancestors lived and come from, and he was sad. But but he didn't just remain sad. He he actually he allowed he allowed that compassion. He allowed that conviction for what God was doing and His people to impact him. And he started to pray and he started to pray and fast and he started to do that very intentionally. And and eventually gets to this position. And I could, I'll talk to you about the content of, of those prayers at another time. But he, he gets before the king and, and the king says to him, Nehemiah, why are you looking so sad? And, and it wasn't just like, oh, you're a bit depressed, you're having a bad day. You, you didn't look sad before the king if you wanted to live. You know, so what he did, when, when the king saw his emotion and saw what he was carrying, it was something that he had thought about and he was willing, and this is great, Jen, he was willing to be vulnerable before the king with what God had put on his heart. And, and there, there is a sense where when we start to be vulnerable before our king, he can actually work with us. And, and, and the king says, hey, what's going on? And Nehemiah says, look, I am very concerned about my homeland. I'm concerned about Jerusalem. I'm concerned about what's going on there. And then he says, you know, to the king, well, actually, it doesn't even reflect well on you because you've got stuff going on over there that's out of control. And, he, and, the, and the king says, hey, what do you want me to do? And he says, well, I want to go there and I, I want to get it rebuilt. And, and, and then he goes a step further and he says, look, I would actually like your favour on this. I would like you to, to give me safe passage. I would like you to give me some resource. And I'd like you to put your stamp of authority on that. And, and the king says, yep, you've got it. And away he went. And the short version of a longer story is that in 52 days, he achieved what everybody else had been trying to do in 75 years. In 52 days, they managed to rebuild the walls of that city. They, they, they brought back security and structure and, and enabled a city to be put back together for people to live where they, where they felt like they had the security to be a city in 52 days. What, what was it that enabled him... To do that in, in 52 days when everybody else had taken 75 years. And I, I think the walls of Jerusalem are, are very much a picture of the way the, New, the Old Testament works. There's a lot we draw from it about the way that God works in our lives and the way that he works in churches, the way that he works in communities. And the walls of Jerusalem are, are often the picture of the walls of our life or a local church or a community or a family and or a nation and the way that they can actually be rebuilt rebuilt or restored <coughs> into a place of strength power and purpose again now i won't talk heaps this morning about the the character of nehemiah but 
There are three words that I think sum him up. He was a man of concern. Um, When he heard about what was going on in Jerusalem, he was very concerned. Today we hear all sorts of news and it's so easy to think it's too hard and switch off. Been there? Just information overload. You turn on the news and there's another disaster. There's another plight of people doing it tough and it's, it's just, it's, it's so tempting just to sort of try and put it out of your mind. Nehemiah was living in luxury of the palace but his concern was for those that weren't. And he's a man of confession. He actually goes before God and he confesses on behalf of others their shortcomings. And he asks God to, to meet him where he's at. And then he's a man of commitment. He's actually got the commitment to walk this journey out and see it through. So even with these amazing qualities, even with his own smarts, I don't think he had it all to pull this project off because a lot of other people had tried. And sometimes we can think, have you been there yourself? You can think and feel like you're doing all the right things. You can feel like, you know what, I'm... I'm trying to grow in my relationship with God. I'm trying to be faithful, you know, to him. I'm trying to be faithful in my local church. I'm, I'm trying to do that stuff, but it just feels like, you know, the breakthrough or the stuff that you're wanting to see or the stuff you're working on is not happening. Has anybody been there? Certainly I have. Um, and, and, and it's like, oh, what, what's going on here? And, and the Jews would have felt like that in Babylon. You know, some of them perhaps um, weren't, weren't doing all the, all the right things, but there were a lot of people that were. There were a lot of people that had re-established the temple and were really trying to get something happening there and, and it just wasn't happening. But I want to say that in those seasons, God is working. During those 70 years, during that time that the temple was being rebuilt, you know, there are a couple of books that you'll read that are right next to Nehemiah and you'll find out the way that God was working even though there were a whole lot of other things that appeared like they weren't. God was actually doing something and he was setting a foundation and he was putting a spiritual platform in that place before he actually started to work really powerful in the natural. And I want to encourage you that sometimes when you're going through stuff, God is actually establishing a spiritual spiritual platform and a spiritual depth in your life that is actually going to see him work in the natural. Often it's not until you have to really go to those hard places and push into those things that you actually find out where am I at spiritually. You know, it's one thing to be say, yeah, it's cool to be spiritual when everything's easy and good, but, but when it's tough and it's hard and you're asking the questions, where is God in my loss? Where is God in my marriage that doesn't seem to be working? Where is God in my job that's not there anymore? Where, where is God in these things? And, and you'll actually find that he is there, but sometimes it doesn't feel like that, but he is there and he is wanting to do a deep work in you that is so deep that it doesn't matter what happens or what comes your way, that what he has established in you is stronger than the circumstances and the things that come into your world. Nehemiah would have been a smart guy. He wouldn't have been in the king's palace if he wasn't. He was very capable And as I've said, he was a man of concern, confession and commitment. But I think without the God factor, he wouldn't have been able to achieve what he did. There had to be a God factor. There had to be a God factor when everybody else had been trying something for 75 years and in 52 days they get the wall rebuilt. 
And, and I think many of you are coming into a times and season where you've been working hard and you're thinking, you know what? We actually really do need breakthrough here and we need the God factor here. You know, there, there, there's a spiritual foundation, there's some stuff, but hey, come on, let's believe that the God factor will come in to our families. Let's believe that the God factor will come into our local church. Let's believe the God factor will come into our city. Let's, let's tonight believe for the God factor at church together. There's no point spending a whole lot of money over there and meeting together if there's no God factor. You know what? Well, we need the God factor as the church of Hobart. We need the God factor as believers of Hobart. Let's believe that it's going to happen. And we need the God factor as Energizer Church at the moment as we go into these things that are in front of us. So I want to just, in a little bit of time I've got left this morning, talk about the God factor. So why could Nehemiah succeed when others had failed? What did the God factor look like in his life? And I think there are three things. And I think these three things apply to all of our lives regardless of where we are. And, and the first one was position. That, that God had actually positioned him in the king's court. God had put him where he wanted him. Where are you positioned at the moment? You're, you're either in one or two places. You're where God wants you, or you're on the way to where he wants you, or you're resisting. You know, are we, are we where God wants us? There's a story in the Old Testament about a guy with an amazing calling on his life. He was a prophet. And God wanted him positioned in a strategic place at a strategic time so that people would find out the good news. They would find out that a God loved them and didn't want to judge them. And, and God sent a prophet named Jonah to Nineveh. And, and you know the story. Jonah was a racist, like most people in the ancient world were. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to talk to people he didn't like about the love of God. And God said, no, that's where you've got to be. And, and you know the story. He went the other way and ended up getting thrown out of a ship and eaten up by a whale and spewed out on a beach and eventually made his way to Nineveh. He resisted. He wasn't where God wanted him to be. Maybe there are people here tonight and you know that there are some changes that God's asking you to make so that you are positioned where he can use you. You are positioned. And it might be a physical thing, but most likely it's a... It's a it's a mindset thing that he actually wants to move you from one place to another. The second thing was influence. He had the ear of the king and a lot of other powerful people because of where he was. You know, there is not a person here who doesn't have influence. Some of you think, oh yeah, you know, one day I'll have influence or if I have this job or if that, whatever. You know what? You all have influence in a certain way. Whenever you walk into a room, you have an influence over that room. You, you are in your family. You, you have, have the capacity to, to bring about an influence that, that makes that thing go one way or the other. In your workplace, you have influence about what is feeling, what is going on. It doesn't matter what your level is, you have influence. He had the ear of the king, so he had, had an influence that, that meant that amazing things could actually happen. And the third thing that I want to really focus on this morning, as I've talked about already, is favour. God gave him position, influence, and favour for his purposes. And God wants to be positioning you, and he will give you influence. But I think it's all very well to have, have position. It's all very well to have influence. 
But, you know, there's got to be a favor on what we do. It's funny that it's, it's church together. It's not funny that it's church together today. It is church together today. But let me share something. When a lot of you, there'll be some people here that would remember that and the whole lot of you that wouldn't. But when Alex and I took this church on as senior leaders, and it was certainly before we expected or, or were ready for it, and that was back in, in about 2006, and there were certain things that we thought we had our head around and there were some things that we perhaps felt we didn't. And at the time, we were, we, we'd been doing all sorts of things as a church. And, and some of you remember, we used to do a, a conference out at the Durham Entertainment Centre called Energizer Conference. And, you know, great days and things with what God did through that. And, and sort of at the same time, out of the... Um, there was a there was a Billy Graham Association festival that that we were we were really involved in and out of that grew church together and and that was all led by Pastor Kevin our previous leader and as we stepped into that I thought I sort of understand Energizer Conference I'd grown up with that but gee church together you know how can I how can I get out there and 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 lead and influence senior pastors in our city i was believe it or not i was younger at the time i was younger than most of them and now i'm probably older than half of them but at that time i thought how am i going to do that and 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 i just really felt god say no you're to do it i'll go before you and the journey is there are a lot of other things that i thought i could do and they, they didn't go the way that i anticipated but God actually put favour on church together. As I talked to people, doors opened. As, as we pushed into challenges, doors opened and things started to work. And God's done that in an amazing way. You know what? We can't, we can't achieve his purposes without his favour. And we've got to understand that, that his favour, his favour is there for us. Sometimes we're getting frustrated because we're perhaps pushing into things where his favour might not be. But, but his favour is being poured out. First of all, understand his favour is on you. And he wants to, you to administer his favour. Listen to, listen to what Jesus said at the start of his ministry. He comes out of a time of trials and testing and this 40 days in the desert experience. And he, and he walks into a synagogue and he goes in and he... And he picks up a scroll. He picks up the Bible, if you like. And he opens it up to the Old Testament and he actually reads something very prophetic. These verses had been penned by the prophet Isaiah for the very moment that Jesus would walk into that synagogue and pick up that scroll. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Pretty, pretty big statement, isn't it? Walking in and, and that. But he was the son of God, so he knew. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free. And then he finishes it. He talks about this stuff. And as a church, we sort of, we get this and we, you know, we try to come back and reset ourselves against that mandate, you know, throughout history. But then he says, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. What he's actually saying is those things there can't happen without the favour of the Lord. You know, that that the blind are not going to be able to see without the favour of the Lord. Um, 
that captives, that people are not going to be released without the favour of the Lord. Jesus was 100% successful in his mission. He brought good news. He set captives free. He brought light to the darkness. He released humanity from spiritual oppression. And then he proclaimed and released a season of God's favour. And we live under God's favour. If, if there's perhaps one thing that would make a difference to how effective the local church is, the bride of Christ is, is understanding that we actually live under the favour of God. Yeah. We're not actually John Howard's battlers. We live under the favour of God. Sometimes it's a battle, but you know what? You have got the favour of God on you. We have been positioned to be a kingdom influence and given favour for his purpose. In this season, let's continue to believe we are positioned to be a kingdom influence and we have the Lord's favour. All right, Nehemiah's position. Number one, he was a cupbearer to the king. He worked in the palace. That meant he had the ear of the king. His position meant that he had a level of influence. I think to have real influence, we also need to have favour. And, and look, I, I just want to talk about how, how this actually worked. So he could have been in that position. God could have done all the work in getting him there. But if there's not a favour factor there, we wouldn't have seen the breakthroughs that, that happened in Jerusalem. So what, what was the favour? What did he have? Did he have something on the king? You know, was, was he just a really nice guy that no one could say no to? Listen to what it says in Nehemiah 2 verse 6. It says, the king with the queen. Now, you've got to remember, this is... This is ancient stuff. They didn't actually talk about the queens unless there was a reason to. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And Nehemiah says, and I told him how long I'll be gone. And the king agreed to my request. The reason that Bible scholars think that they talk about the queen here is that this queen was most likely Queen Esther. Queen Esther, this, 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 this Jewish girl that won a beauty competition and got catapulted into the middle of Babylon and the court. And, and as you read about in, in the book of Esther, you realize that, that, that she's able to speak up and she's able to, to even challenge the king and, and bring favor to her people when they were about to, to get wiped out through, through a, a really cunning plan. But you know what? She is sitting beside the king when this guy is saying, you know what, I want to go back to my homeland and rebuild it. Imagine the look the king is going to get from the queen if he dismisses Nehemiah. God has been working before to bring favor for the request of Nehemiah when it happened. I want to encourage you that as you come before God, as you come before people, as you go to that job interview, as you go into that thing, God is working behind the scenes and he's bringing things together so that there is favor as you ask for, for, for in line with the will of God. Really great. I had a little boy sitting here this morning who likes to go up to our baristas there and get hot chocolates. So he says to me, can I have a hot chocolate? And he didn't have the favour 
king. It sounds a bit bad, but anyway. In that scenario, perhaps yes. I said no. <laughs> you can perhaps have one after church. And he, he, he doesn't stop asking. He will keep asking. He's not deterred by no. He's not deterred by reason. He just keeps on asking. He asked again. He said to me, can I have a hot chocolate? And I said, no. He said, why? I said, well, look, there's nobody up there. (laughs) Are you going to go and make one yourself? There was no favour on that area to have a hot chocolate. But you know what? He's going to come back. He's going to come out of kids' church and he's going to come back and he's going to say, can I have a hot chocolate? And by then I'm getting pretty worn down with all these requests. And, And I'm probably going to say yes. And I'm actually going to say, you know, and and there is favour on that because, you know, God has been working behind the scenes and most likely there will be somebody over there after the service to make him a hot chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) And and you know what? Often we come before God and we we ask and and we we believe that, you know, what when he's, he's, you know, it just doesn't happen and it's not... You know, I, I, want, I want him to have hot chocolates. I'm not against him having hot chocolates. I don't want him to have too many. I don't want him to get on a sugar high where he's difficult to, 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 to process. I don't want him to drink so many hot chocolates that, um, you know, his belly goes like out. Because, you know, he thinks he's got to win the cross country on, on, on Tuesday. He believes that. And... And, and, and you know what? And I think so often God is with us. You know, we're bringing these things before him. And, 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 you know, sometimes we think it's not happening. But you know what? Things are happening. He's moving things behind the scene. You know, just like at the right time, when Cody comes and asks at the right time, I will say yes, and he will experience my favor and get a hot chocolate. You know, when you keep bringing your request to God in line with God, his favor is always there. And, and, and you know, he's been working things behind the scenes, and when things line up, you'll be amazed at the breakthrough that comes. Just because it hasn't worked in a season, it doesn't mean it's not what the will of God is. So like, let's just understand that he is positioning things behind the scenes so that the favour can be on there. God positioned Esther and put her in a place of influence. So uh, the God factor. God has already positioned people so that you are influence favour. So how can we, how can we engage the, the God factor? I, I think in this, in this text here, and I'll, I'll do this really quickly as we finish. Another prophet, Jeremiah, wrote a, a really, really pertinent prophecy to these people who are in exile. Because everybody, what the background of this is, there are all these prophets that have been saying, hey guys, don't get comfortable here. We're on our way. We're out of here in a minute. Doesn't matter. Don't show these people any respect. Don't sow into this community because we are going home. And really they were prophets just telling them what they wanted to hear. But when the word of God really came, it was really different. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies said armies the God of Israel says to all the captives who are exiled in Babylon from Jerusalem. (laughs) 
build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry, have children, then find spouses for them. So here we go. He's saying two generations. So that you may have many grandchildren, three generations. 70 years they were there, three generations. Multiply, do not dwindle away. How do we engage the God factor? Well, I think it's pretty easy to understand as Christians that the, the, the place that we live at the moment can feel like we're in a little bit of a place of exile. How do we respond to that? Do we get angry? Well, I think we've got to, to realise that some things are not right and, and get a bit of steeliness in us. But do we, do we shrink back? Do we just bunker down? Do we go and, do we go and think, do we get on board with the, the conspiracy theorists, the flat earth people? Build bunkers, buy tins of beans, shut the doors, batten down the hatches, waiting, waiting, wait. Oh, oh, I know the bomb will go off and then we'll be able to come out. What's the word of God says? Build homes, plant gardens, marry, have children. Some words from people here now. Plan to stay. Build. You know, when we build, there's a sense of future. And I, I think, you know, we've had a great season as a church with God's wanting to catapult us into what's next. We've got to build. We've got to build. We've got to be, be here for generations to come. So come on, let's, let's be ready for that. Let's, let's engage the God factor as we go into that. When we build, there is ownership. When we build, there is a shaping of the landscape. I think building means playing the long game. You know, we can be in seasons where it's all about what's happening at the moment. You know, Jesus actually put us here for the long game. Yes, he's coming back and and probably the the first apostles believed that in many ways he could have come back before their their life was over. But the the word of God never actually says that. It says there'll be signs that we will know, we will get a a sense of urgency and, and we can see that around us at the moment, but we've got to keep playing the long game. When we plant, we're investing and we're expecting you know, when you plant a garden, you can't go out and eat the stuff the very next day. Sometimes um, Alex will buy little, little punnets of, of herb from the supermarket. Many of you do, I'm sure. And, and you'll find that you can often buy a punnet of herbs cheaper than you can buy the, um, you know, the things wrapped up in plastic in the, in the freezer. But, but she'll bring the punnet of herbs home and think, oh, yeah, we'll plant those in the garden. And, and, you know, end up using them all before they get a chance to grow. And because, you know what, we didn't, we didn't actually plant them with the long game in mind. We didn't actually plant them and set aside and give them space to grow. You know, when we plant, we don't get to reap that crop, you know, for, for often, you know, here our, our summer vegetable gardens are pretty good, aren't they? You know, we can put seeds in the ground in two months, we can be... Um, enjoying the, the fruit of them. But, but when you plant, you're expecting and you believe that something is going to happen. We've got to be people that plant. Let's keep planting. Even, even when you're frustrated, even when you, you feel like you haven't got anything left, if you're smart, you will keep sowing. 
You will keep sowing to people when you're having a bad day. You will keep sowing into people when it doesn't feel like it's working because you know what? That produces future. That produces a crop and that actually brings favour back to your own life. We've got to eat. Got any people here with me? Well, what does it mean to eat in this context? I think it means to, to be engaged and be active with society. That, that we can't withdraw and just be out doing our own thing. We've actually got to engage with what is going on. It doesn't mean you have to be like everybody else. We're told to be salt and light in our, in our, our community. But we've got to engage with it. We're not separated from it. Um, we've got to be in there and we've got to infiltrate it and we've got to make a difference. That's what it means to eat. Marry. Well, what's marry mean? Well, marry means get married, doesn't it? <laughs> but, but, but in a bigger picture, often it means, it means to partner. It means to contribute. It actually means to establish relationships that have future. Um, multiply. Well, that comes after marry, doesn't it? But we don't just occupy or live apologetically, but we see increase. We don't dwindle away. So the band want to join me now, please. How do we engage the, the God factor? Let's, let's, let's be builders. We build the kingdom, we build lives, we build families, we build hope. We build a spiritual climate in our city. We build generations. And then verse 7 of that text I was reading from Jeremiah, it says, and... And, and I believe this is a big factor in the things that we're, we're praying for at church together. It says, and work. Work. It doesn't say prophesy only. It doesn't say have lots of ideas only. It doesn't say stand in a place of judgment. It says, and work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for its welfare will determine your welfare. We had a, an election last week, as you know. Some of you would have enjoyed the result and others of you may not have done. But I think we all need to be praying for our government for its welfare determines our welfare. We're not disconnected as Christians, regardless of whether it's your political party or another one. We, we are to engage. We are to, to pray for that. So we pray. Pray for peace. Pray for prosperity. Pray for the welfare. What's that mean? Praying for, for, praying for prosperity means we're praying that, you know, that the blessing of God would, would just impact everybody. Uh, praying for welfare means... Praying for the welfare of people. We're, we're expecting, like this afternoon at church together, we're going to pray for generational poverty. We're praying for welfare. We're praying for the welfare of people. We know, you know, we know that there's actually, that, that there's enough resource that people don't have to live in poverty. But, but we, we're actually praying that there would be enlightenment, that there would be revelation, that, you know, that God would actually start to do something among his people that causes breakthrough for generations of people to come. You know, we pray for, for welfare. We pray for, for, for the welfare of our city. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army said, verse 8. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers 
who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. I think there will always be doomsday sayers. There will always be false prophets. There will always be another conspiracy theory. Does it line up with the word of God? (laughs) Is it founded on the truths of God? Is it reputable? Is it about building his kingdom? Is it about building people? And understand why the people had allowed Jerusalem to remain in this place of brokenness. And he probably felt frustrated with those that were there. He probably thought, you know what? You guys had opportunity. You could have done something. But you don't hear him talking about it. You don't hear him running down the people that are back there in that place. He just decided that he would contribute to their future. He decided he wasn't going to remain the same. He decided that it wasn't going to be the same on his watch. What is it? What is it that's not going to remain the same on your watch? What is it that God's putting on your heart that you have been positioned, you have been given influence and the favour of God is on you to say it won't remain the same under my watch. For some of you it might be something as big as rebuilding a city. Or planning something that is really big. That's not the point. The point is what has God asked you to look after? Is it those, those people in your workplace that you're sowing into? Is it that family that God has given you position and influence and favour with? Is it your role in your local church? Is it where God has positioned you in this city? Is it the people he's put around you? Whatever it is, I think there's something powerful about knowing that we can be people of concern, of confession and of commitment and understand that the favour of God is on us to say, hey, doesn't have to stay the same under my watch I think that's what God's doing in us as church at the moment he's wanting to reposition us he's wanting to give us greater influence and his favour is being poured out on us let's stand in that and let's walk out into that Let's stand right now. As we go into church together this afternoon, I want you guys. <laughs> Let's go knowing the favour of God's on us. Let's go and know that he wants to do something in our city. Let's understand what 
what our role is, what we carry under our watch. Let me pray. Father, I, I thank you so much. You, have positioned us. Thank you that you've given us all levels of influence. And I thank you that actually the influence that we carry is is, is far greater than, than what we would believe. And I thank you that, that when you died, Lord Jesus, that, that heaven opened and your spirit is poured out and we live under a time of your favour. And I, I just pray as we as we go from this place today, as we head off into church together, as we head into our families, as we continue in this season of building as a church, that we would get a greater understanding and revelation of the fact that your favour is on us, that we would continue to pray for favour, we would ask for favour, and we would know that you're wanting to do that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks, Lance.